Yeah, last week, as you saw from that video, um, many of you were here. Thank you for showing up. Last week we had our uh, first ever block party. And uh, leading up to it, uh, I think I'd shared, and we'd shared in a number of ways, the staff and I had been praying, we'd been preparing, we'd connected with businesses, we had uh, prayer walked in the neighborhood, we had sent out some flyers for the first time ever to our community just to say, hey, we're, we're here and we'd love to meet you. Um, and I told you, one of the things I told you is that the, the number of like the people that come out as guests is, isn't the goal. That's not how we're going to count the success of it, right? But it's going to be how we embody love towards one another and the people. But I want to share just a couple, a couple things with you. Last week, we did. We had five guest households that showed up uh, from invitation and from response to fires. We had four young professionals that came and showed up. We had a handful of children that were guests of friends. And the space was filled with joy. <laughs> the space was filled with hope. The space was filled with connection. And in particular, there was one gal, one young professional who checked on her um, card. She said, I'd like to receive a, a follow-up call or connection from somebody from, from the church. And so I, I connected with her this week, and she kind of sh- began to share some of her story. And she told me she's not here today, so I, I, I want to share this. Um, but she just said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not from a believing home. She goes, I wouldn't even call myself a Christian yet. She goes, but I'm, I'm on a spiritual journey. She was a friend of a friend, said that if I came to this community, uh, there's a chance that I'd, I'd be encouraged and I might grow closer to Jesus. And so she said, I came. And she goes, it was awesome. She goes, you guys were so warm. She goes, you guys were welcoming. She goes, it was filled with energy and life and hope. And she goes, I'm so grateful I came. And so I just said, you know, I hope you feel welcome to come back and worship anytime. And she said, I, I, I will. You know, she said, I can't be th- this, this week. Uh, I've got future plans. Or I've, got, I've got plans already. She goes, but, but I'll, I'll be there. And I, and I can't wait. So, Missio, thank you. Because again, if, if there, there's a parable that we could, if we had time, we could go into, right? Where Jesus said, said for just one, right? For, for just one. He, he would put everything down. The shepherd would put everything down, everything aside, and go after just, just the one sheep. The, the one that needed in that moment and in that time to hear the love, the truth, the grace, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, we have a friend, a, a, new, a new sister who's on a spiritual journey. And God is intersecting with her story. And, and we got a part... We were part of a small part of that last week, but I'm looking forward to continuing to, to be a part of it. So again, thank you for praying. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for just um, leaning into the vision with us, right, and following us in that. And really this morning, that, that's part of my heart and goal as we kick off the fall together, uh, is that I want to share uh, just from my heart, really part of, part of the vision of what I believe God is, is calling us to for this season. Uh, if you guys were here in June, I believe it was, uh, for our family covenant gathering celebration, I shared some of this. Uh, but realized it didn't get recorded, and so the staff was like, you should talk about that stuff again as we kick off the fall. And so that's my heart today, is to share with you part of the vision uh, for as we kick off the fall for this year, talk about one of the strategic priorities, and then really share more about the heart of this phrase that maybe you've heard me use is is a hope zone. How many of you guys have heard me talk about that recently or in the last several months? Okay, so a handful. But again, the staff was like, I think you need to expound on that a little more today and just just share what, what, what we're talking about with that. And even why, why do we do things like a block party? Why are we doing the things that Joel just shared about through community life? And just kind of connect that all together for us in this vision and understanding of who we believe God has called us to be and what it looks like for us to be a hope zone here in Southwest Portland. Cool? You guys ready to journey with me this morning? Sweet. So yeah, we say around here that Missio exists to be an authentic community that makes Jesus fully known so that others may come to fully know him. 
And each year, um, in light of that, what I do is I, I ask the staff to sit and plan and pray and build out their calendar and the vision for the, for the coming year. And we always do that kind of in the late spring. And there's always kind of a strategic question or strategic priority that I put in front of us. And this last year, in late spring, the strategic question was this. It was, how are we discipling and equipping people to be holistic and resilient followers of Jesus? How are we as a staff working together in partnership with you, our community, to disciple and equip people, in a sense, one another, to be holistic and resilient followers of Jesus. And in some regards, that's our job. And in some regard, I believe that's all of our job. If, if we're disciples together, we are invested and involved in one another's discipleship and the growth of, of holistically experiencing and coming to know the love of Christ and how it intersects with our lives. And that love and the hope that comes from that is to make us resilient as we walk through this world. That, For all honest, it's pretty hard and it's pretty challenging at times. And we need hope, and we need resilience, and we need to continue to grow and be equipped in new ways as disciples of Jesus. And so I want to kind of unpack that a little bit and talk again practically why we're going to be doing the things that we're going to be doing. And to help unpack that, I want to go through today one of the scripture passages that I gave the staff. There was three of them. I won't talk about all of them today because of time. But there's one in particular that I want to unpack this morning. Um, and it comes out of the, the letter that Paul wrote to a church in, in Ephesus, or churches in Ephesus. And we're going to talk through... Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 a little bit here this morning, looking at verses 1 to 16. And as we read this, here's the things I want to invite you to, to kind of listen for or think about. Because as, as Paul writes this, uh, there's a bigger context that we'll talk about, but in, in this chapter in particular, what Paul is doing is he's calling Christians to Christ-likeness, to unity, and to maturity, all underneath the lordship of Jesus, okay? Christ-likeness, maturity, unity under the lordship of Jesus. And so I want to read this together. We'll walk through it. And then we're going to connect it again to this call for us to be a hope zone this fall, this year, and we'll go from there, okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, it'll be up on the screen, or I invite you to open up in the Word in front of you. Uh, but God's Word says this to us this morning. Paul writes and he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, personhood, to the measure of the full stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint and ligament with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." And I believe what Paul is calling us to here is a call to Christ-likeness, a call to unity, and a call to maturity. All of these things under the lordship of Jesus. 
In, in verses 1 through 3, he talks about this call to Christ-likeness. He uses this phrase to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he goes on to then name a couple of virtues or characteristics. He says humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love, eagerness to maintain unity, the bond of peace. He, he names here half of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Basically, he's giving us this picture of what does it look like to actually walk in the manner of worthy of your calling. And, and basically what he's saying is, is to walk, walk as Christ did. To, to walk in these virtues. Again, uh, the virtue of humility, of gentleness, of patience, of love. That, that we're all called to this. This isn't just for some. This is what everybody is called to together within the body. And he says, as you do this, in verses 4 to 6, and you live together out this, you're walking together in this, this same, same direction, this same mode, this same goal of growing up and, and developing in this personhood of Christ, and you live together in unity under the lordship of God. And as he talks about that, he's talking about this unity, and he talks specifically about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's giving us this picture there to say that even the, the God himself who created us and created all of the cosmos, all of the universe, everything that we see and know, this God himself is, is diverse, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, but united as one Lord that rules over everything. And so our growth, our development, is to be under the Lordship of God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're working then towards, though, becoming more like Christ, each of us, even as we're united. And after all this conversation about unity and this, this moving towards and walking towards becoming mature in Christ and his, his virtues, his personhood, and then reminding us that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, who is overall the one Lord, one Father, one Spirit, overall and in all and through all, there's kind of this interesting word <laughs> to start verse 7. <laughs> and, and it's the word but. It's, it's this transition He's just talked about unity and this goal and this movement forward and this thing. But then he says this, and he goes, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This, this great unity, but then this pause to remind us that even in this unity of moving and everyone going towards this Christ-likeness and, and this maturity in Christ, he says there's a unique way that that plays out in each one of us. Same, same goal we're going after, maturity, development, becoming like Jesus and, and, and revealing Jesus in the world. But the way that each of us are going to do that is actually going to be unique and different. Why? Because there's a unique grace that's been given. So just like God the Father is one, Father, Son, and Spirit, there's different roles that Father, Son, and Spirit have in the work of God in this world. Does that make sense? Did we track with that? And again, if we had time, we could work through Scripture and see what's the role of the Father, the Son, the Spirit in salvation, in sanctification, in creation, in all these things, right? United but unique. And Paul's saying similar, the body of Christ, united in this goal of becoming more like Christ and revealing Christ in the world, but the way you're actually going to do that is, is unique. Different grace was given to each of us. I'm not sure who's playing the guitar, but that's kind of cool. And it says, so some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are shepherds, some are teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Listen to this part, for building, the body of, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He starts talking about unity. He goes into this little section on the diversity that different people will play and have according to the different unique grace that God has given. And he brings it back again to talk about unity in this maturation process of growing up in the knowledge of the Son of God in mature personhood to the full measure and the stature of Christ. From unity to diversity, back to unity, 
And here he, he, he brings home his point. In verse 14, he says this, so that we, all of us, that's a plural we, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we, again, all together, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. I want you to pause and think just for a second. What, what's the function of your head on your body? What does your head do? Some of you guys are getting real intelligent right now, and I, I can't track with you there. But this is what I think Paul is talking about. My head is actually what tells the rest of my body what it is to do. Is that, is that fair enough to say? Medical people in here, can somebody just say, like, yeah, that, that's, that's reasonable to say that, right? My, my head tells my body what it is to do. Without my head, I can't feel even my feet, right? And I can't, my, like, this is my, it's happening up here first before I do this, right? Is that, again, fair to say? You all agree with that? If you get rid of the head, the body doesn't know how to function, what to do. It can't live anymore. And Paul is saying part of this, this creation and what God has done in the church, in the uniqueness of this call for diversity, is that, yeah, we're, we're all supposed to grow up and move towards and grow up into, he says, the head who is Christ. Meaning all of us, again, are, are on this goal of Christ-likeness, maturity, unity, under the lordship of Jesus. Like he's the one that is supposed to be driving and directing this thing. And if we cut off the head, my body, one, it will die and lose life, but two, it'll flop and flow around for a little bit by itself, like not knowing what to do. And Paul's saying in this journey, in this process of together, we start with Christ and we end with Christ. And in the middle of it, there's this way in which Christ is at work in you and in you and in you and in you and hopefully in me. And we're working together to be part of one another's maturation and growing up and becoming who and what God has created us to be, both individually and uniquely. And that's all designed by His grace. See, here's the thing. You and I, I think most of us would say, yeah, I want to go after being sanctified. I want to go after growth. I want to go after maturation. But we all want to kind of do it on our own terms, don't we? I do. But guess what, Dominic? You do not get to choose when and how you are sanctified. Nor do I get to choose the people that God uses to do that process in me. But God has put each one of you in my life to, bring part, to make me mature in Christ and bring my wrong, my sanctification. Jesus ultimately is in charge of it. It's a work of his grace in my life because my sanctification is part of my salvation. It's part of my ongoing journey and story. So it's a work of grace. God is doing it in my life. And there's ways in which I am to take on or engage in different practices and different realities and things that help me grow in that reality. But do you know ultimately where much of my sanctification is going to come from? Me doing life on life with you. You doing life on life with me. And I actually don't get a say in the timing of when and how and what circumstance God is going to use as we rub shoulders and live life together when and how and what he uses to sanctify me. But you and I, in this journey and process of being a follower of Jesus and being devoted to becoming more and more like Christ, growing up into this, this wholeness and this fullness and this stature of Jesus, as it says here, you are an integral part of my spiritual growth and development. And I am an integral part of yours. And all of this, Paul is saying, 
is that when we do this and we speak the truth in love, we grow up together in this way, when the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, in verse 16, when each part is doing its work properly, when each, when each person is exercising their faith, when each person is engaged in their process of, of, of growth and sanctification and development and going after Jesus, when each of us is doing that, what happens, it says, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up ultimately into what? In love, into Christ. <laughs> to become and look more like Christ, each and every one of us and all of us together. And this is powerful because here's one of the bigger contexts. One of the bigger contexts is obviously the whole book. But in chapter 2, there's this huge chunk where Paul is talking about oneness in Christ. And what he's talking to, he's addressing this church in Ephesus that is now this family that is Jews and it's Greeks, but it's one new family of God. And they're trying to figure out what does it look like for us to be a church together in this new context. And what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and what he's saying here in chapter 4, is that regardless of culture, regardless of socioeconomics, regardless of my theological understandings and where I'm at versus your theological understandings and where you're at, regardless of the neighborhood you grew up in and your background, regardless of different beliefs, regardless of things I'm wrestling with, like we are called to love one another and grow up together in that love. Like there's this, there's this beautiful process that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ in bringing together people in this format and in this fashion that together they go after this hope of growth and of development and of newness of life and of flourishing that impacts every single one of us individually and together and moves outward into the world to reveal the love of God. To be an authentic community that makes Jesus Christ fully known so that others may come to fully know Him. And in the middle of it, there's this one little word, there's this one little phrase that we probably would glance over because often when you, people talk about Ephesians chapter 4, Often the focus is on verse 11 where he talks about, and he gave some to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Those things are important. Those things are beautiful. There's a lot that could be said and unpacked in a number of sermons just on that alone. But unfortunately, what we often do is we focus on those almost as an end in themselves. Which one am I? What am I going to do? How does it play out? Whatever. But again, the whole context of this is, is, is the unity of these things playing together for the glory of God in the growth of love. And right in the midst of it, there's this little phrase that I think almost, you could, you'd almost read it and think it's like, oh, a throwaway phrase. But it's a, it's, a, it's a parenthetical phrase here in verse 5 where Paul says this, and he says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Oh, excuse me, verse 4 is the one I should be reading. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And this phrase there is kind of, there's these little <laughs> hyphens in front and back. It's almost like Paul almost forgot to say this. But I think it's actually a key crux of the thing he's talking about. See, because one of the key things that, that actually unites us is the hope that we have together in Jesus. What is hope? Hope often is defined as uh, a wish, right? You say, I hope something. It's like I'm wishing something for you. And our hopes, when we talk about them in that sense, our hope is only as strong as the strength of the person's desire. Does that make sense, right? I, I, it's, I hope something for you, but I, I really can't control the outcome it for you. 
And it's only like that hope is only, again, as strong as the strength of my desire for you to, to have something or to experience something, right? But hope in the biblical sense is this. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. It's the confident expectation of what God has promised to come true. And the strength of that hope is in his faithfulness. Similar to the other kind of hope in the sense that, again, I don't have actually control over it because we're talking about God doing this thing. But the strength of it is in God's faithfulness. So biblical hope and the hope that that Paul talks about throughout all of his letters and that that Scripture talks about throughout, it's radically different than the hope that that we kind of say. Again, like, hey, I hope you had a great day. I hope you do well on your test this week. I hope the weather's going to be nice because I've got something. you right. This is a hope that's grounded in a confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. See, and hope is the part of our faith or the part of our longing that focuses on the future. See, what Paul is talking about here, I believe, when he says that there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. What Paul is doing, he's, he's reminding us that in the incarnation, what Jesus Christ did was come and take on flesh and step into the present reality of the world in order to change the future reality of the world. The love of God came and was embodied in such a way that he entered in to the dirtiest, messiest parts of the reality of the world as it was in order to look at everyone in that world and say, but there is a different hope up ahead. There is new life. There is transformation. There is change. There is release from suffering. There is a release from loneliness and into community. There is a call out of darkness and into light. There is out of the brokenness into restoration and healing. And Jesus steps into the present reality that is none of those things and says they are coming. And what he does is he underwrites that hope with his own body. He underwrites that hope with his own blood. He underwrites that hope with his resurrection. He underwrites that hope with his ascension. He underwrites that hope then with giving us the one spirit so that we all are called to and are reminded of this hope that we have as we live out this life in this journey, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of the challenges, that we look ahead and go, yes, that's Jesus. And I have hope of transformation. I have hope of newness of life. I have hope of restoration. I have hope of of a different future than I am experiencing right now. Because this hope again, is an expectation of what God has promised. And it's underwritten by his faithfulness, not mine and no one else's. Why is this important? A hope zone. Maybe I think, again, that God has given us this space and God has called us in this season to, to, to be a hope zone. To be a place of hope, of help, of healing, and of home. A few months ago, I shared with you some research from Dr. Vivek Murthy, the U.S. Surgeon General. And many, many of you had already seen that report. And he said, yes, there's the epidemic of COVID and all that stuff, but there's really more so even an epidemic of loneliness. There's an epidemic in our country of isolation. We talked through that and, and, and applied it in different ways. The, the, the research out there and the conversations that we have and just all of that, it's telling us that right now people are, people are hurting. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of, I hope this happens, but nothing really strong that undergirds it. Do you know what I'm saying? And then there's the gospel that calls us to a hope 
in the calling that we have in Jesus Christ. That again, is not dependent on any of the system structures or things going on in this world, but based upon the promises of God and his kingdom. His kingdom that is now and that is not yet. His love that is here present with us now and that is coming even more fully to restore things even more fully in, in, in a future day. And I believe God is calling us to embody together in the uniquenesses and in united together the hope that is held out in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this hope comes first in, in hope, meaning we offer people a confident expectation of a different future reality that's grounded in God's love and faithfulness. That's what this gal, when I talked to her this week, that's what she said partly. She said, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't come from a Christian background. I just moved here. I've only been in this city for three months. And as I transition into a new job, it's lonely, it's hard, but I heard from a friend of a friend and they helped me get here and I, there was hope. There was hope at the block party. There was hope. Something about the way that you guys partied together. Something about the balloons. Something about the kids. Something about hot dogs. Something about the face paint. Something about chalk on the ground. Something about the way that I was welcomed at that table. Something about the questions you asked me. Something about being in that space with you all. It gave me hope. I know that I'm on this journey with God. And I didn't know where, how and where it would continue when I got to Portland. But you guys somehow, you held out a hope for me as I stood and watched you gather and you welcomed me into that. But after hope, there also needs to be help. There needs to be practical, tangible help. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Again, I think if we could open up and there's a parable where Jesus says, like, if you see a brother without a coat and you say to him, hey, go and be warm and have a nice day, but you don't give him your coat, like, you just, no. <laughs> you, hang out with that brother, talk with him, get to know what's going on, and also give him the coat off your back because he needs the practical help of being warm that day as well. You, you tracking with me? The hope comes through the message of the gospel. The help comes as we actually rally around together, again, using our different unique gifts, skills, and talents, but all together saying, that, that's what we're here for, is to actually give people practical help. And through that practical help and that hope together come, comes the healing. Because as Joel pointed out briefly, we're, 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 we're physical, we're emotional, we're, we're mental, we're spiritual, we're relational. We're, the constitution of the makeup that God has given us, it, it's, it's amazing and it's multifaceted. And I believe the hope that comes through the gospel is to address all of those things in word and deed and in practical help that leads to the healing that can come. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is another one of the verses that I put before our team. He said in verse 23 and 24, he said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Another word for that blameless is like may be made righteous, or, and that's connected to salvation, so be made whole at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who, is, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. What's Paul writing about here? Again, he's kind of addressing the constitution of our, of our makeup in the sense that we are spiritual, we are physical bodies, and we, we have a soul. There's, a, there's an emotional, mental capacity and nature to us. And he's saying the gospel is to impact us in all of these ways. All of these aspects of us need to be restored through the love and the grace of God in our lives. Through the hope that comes through the gospel and the practical hope that comes alongside it, all of it works to bring the healing. And then a sense of home. A sense of acceptance and belonging in God and in his family. Reminding people that they are, too, the beloved of God. Reminding people that even if they don't know it yet, they belong to God. Because God created them uniquely 
and loves them and fashioned them beautifully and perfectly and is calling them back to himself. And we get to be a part of that. See, this passage excites me because it reminds me that not only are you and I integral parts of one another's spiritual formation and growth, but we're integral parts of the transformation of, of, in the healing of this world. That, that God has called us to be that for one another and God has called us to be that in, in the world. I read this week, uh, a couple weeks ago, and the staff and I kind of noodled on it and argued through it this last week. There's this article uh, by a woman named Beth Felker-Jones. And she wrote this article titled, Barbie and Taylor Swift are bringing people together. Don't show that yet, please. She said, Barbie and Taylor Swift are bringing people together. And the subtitle of this article is, Beyond Hot Pink and Bejeweled Outfits, They Showcase a Deeper Desire for Community and Collective Joy. Again, the article said, Beyond, <laughs> beyond the, the hot pink and the bejeweled outfits, they, Barbie and Taylor Swift, are showcasing a deeper desire for community and collective joy. How many of you seen the Barbie movie? No shame, no shame. I, I want to see it. I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list. Anybody go to Taylor Swift this summer? Again, no shame. I, I wish I could go. Um, but in this article, what she's talking about, this is this, this woman, a follower of Jesus, and she's got a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old. And she said she's watched this summer as her kids have gone to these concerts or gone to these movies. And she's watched grown people, like thousands and th- tens of thousands, 50,000 people in the stadium at one of the concerts she was at. And she's like, there's something, again, beyond the, the outfits. There's something beyond uh, the, the, the pink, beyond all that stuff, the physical. She goes, there's something about what they're singing about, what they're talking about, that's hitting the heartstrings of her 13-year-old and her 16-year-old and the people around. And she goes, what I see them being drawn towards is this desire again for deep community and collective joy. Something that we kind of all lost for a good number of years, right? And we're slowly figuring out how do we get back into this thing of doing life together in community. And she said what she's seeing through these stadiums and these packed movie theaters and movie theaters, people crying. Like, again, something about the message of these, these women and these stories, these movies, is, is resonating with people's hearts. They're going, I long for something. Like, there's, there's, there's a measure of hope that they're receiving through this. And she says this in her article. She says, my kids and the people that she's watching, they're hungry. But they're not in when the church fails to tell the truth. They're good at following, they're good at spotting a false God. What they want is truth, the true God. She said, what my kids also want, I can tell as I process with them, my kids want a full-bodied, communal, ecstatic experience. And what Barbie and Taylor Swift are giving, they're giving them a lived experience, an embodied life together, even if it's just for that moment in that concert, 60,000 people doing their thing together. There's an embodiment of like hope and joy and like good things that, that the world can be different than what we're experiencing out there. And she goes on to say what she's seen as she, in her kids and what she's seen in her years of following Jesus is that transformative change happens at a much deeper level than just intellectual and of willpower. Again, so just bringing people along to like intellectual, memorize this, understanding this. We've got to give them also the practical help. We've got to give them along the, the embodiment of, of walking alongside them. And finally, she comes to say this at the very end. She says, and that's what church is. It's life in the body together. The people gathered around the one who is true, who gives life meaning, who knows our embodied longings, because he took on flesh for our sake. The kids want communal meaning, so I'm going to keep hoping, hoping that maybe what they want is the body of Christ. Missy, I think the church, or the the world is longing, hoping for something real. 
for an embodied in the flesh experience of I'm seen, I'm known, I'm loved, and what you're holding out in front of me is true, that I can engage it and I can embrace that. And I know walking this out, there's going to be hope, a fulfilled hope, a true hope, and a hope that's undergirded by this Jesus that you talk about, by this love that you talk about, this grace that you talk about, like helping them understand that story and go, yes, that's, that's what I want. And so, Missio, this is what we're doing this fall. We're, we're, we're praying this month together. Through the month of September, we're praying about the Great Commission. Where is God calling us to engage in being a hope zone? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. This is why in the summer, we opened up our kids' wing to MCCA, a school program that serves kids that need care and compassion. And it was awesome to see them play on our new playground and be in there and even make a mess. But to hear this one girl one day go, why is there a cross on the wall and what does that mean? She'd never seen a cross. And it has, I forget what the cross says up there, but I think it says like learn, grow, and hope tail. Like she's like, what does that mean? That's why. We're kicking off MCs in a couple weeks. We're going camping next week, again, to embody together for a weekend, like the reality and the strength of community and of story and connection and talking honestly and playing together and praying together and walking, you know, you know like we're doing that. This is why we're doing a parenting seminar on October 1st called How to Talk with Your Kids About Sex. Why? Because talking about sex with kids is scary. And I can tell you, yeah, go read something, or I can give you some practical help and bring someone that's walked it and lived it as a counselor and a pastor and a parent for 30 years and from a biblical perspective can stand in here with us and go, let's talk about this stuff together. That's us giving hope in a practical way that also is helpful in the midst of something that can seem hopeless and scary in the midst of the sexual conversations of our world. That's why we're doing the EHS cohort. So that in together we're talking about what is the hope we have in Jesus and getting the practical help to think about what is going on underneath. That's why we're partnering with Neighborhood House in a number of different ways. That's why we're doing the Kids Around the World One Mirror Packing on November 5th to partner with their organization to give hope to people in a place where they have food insecurity and they don't have playgrounds and they don't have access to Bible stories and they're coming in and we're going to pack 30,000 meals I think this year on November 5th. Put it on your calendars and we're going to ship those off and that's going to get delivered and embodied by someone who's going to stand there in another country and say, you can have hope in Jesus. And part of that proof is me standing here to care about your physical needs, to give you a meal, to pray with you, to partner with you, to show you that you matter, that God sees you, He knows you, He loves you, and He wants you to come home to Him. That's why we have Safe Families Ministry. We're building circles of support. And somebody in our community just this week got uh, approved to be a mommy mentor. Another one. So excited about that. Again, that's why we're creating over in Missio Kids a hope zone. That when you sign up and say, yes, I can be a helper or I can be a teacher once a month, you're not just a cog in a wheel. You're not just filling a space so Leslie and I have less stress. What you are doing is you are stepping in to embody for these kids the love of Jesus Christ, to look them in the eyes and say, there is hope. I know school is hard. I know what happens to you on the bus. I know the things that are hard. I, I love you and God sees you. You are the embodiment of hope. You are creating a hope zone for Missio Kids. When you step in and partner with Tim and the new vision that he has for, for our youth this year, again, you're not just a cog in a wheel and saying we need a warm body there. No, we need someone that's going to step in and say, I have experienced hope in Jesus myself. When I was a youth, here's what I went through. Here were the struggles. I know what it's like. I know the pressures with mom and dad and grades and sports, girls and boys, all the stuff, the confusion of the time. But the hope that met me and found me in Jesus got me through that and transformed me. And I can stand here now as a grown adult, still in process, still on my journey, don't have it all figured out, but I can embody hope for you. 
And when we step in here together, in any space, for any age person, the call is for us together to step in with our eyes on Jesus, saying, that's my goal. That's my prize. That's the maturation. That's the growth. That's who I want to be because who I am is far more important than actually what I do. And I'm going after Jesus. And I need you all to help me in that process. And together, we're going to embody the hope of Jesus in this world. And that's what we're going to go after together. Communion, community, mission hasn't changed. Up and out. Call it how you want. Missio, God has given us a grace, I think, to be a a hope zone here in this next season. Will you join me? Can we do it together? By faith, by His grace? Let me me close with this this verse because this is how we do it. Ready? Romans 15, 13, Paul writes this to some other churches in Rome, but a similar focus. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that through the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The God of hope fills people so that they become people of hope so that we become and we are the presence of hope to one another and in this world. This call to to be a hope zone, it's not something we're just going to white knuckle, muster up, do it on our own. It comes through, again, dependence upon Jesus. Dependence upon His grace. Starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. And in the middle, it's the grace and the love of Jesus as well. But again, it's going to happen through us working some things out together. Life on life. But the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Believing in what? Believing in the gospel. Believing in the message of Jesus. The truth of who He is. And what He has done. And who He's called, called, called you to be by the power of the Spirit, that you might abound in hope, that you would overflow in hope and hold it out in a way that others see it. So this morning, Missio, just to, to, to wrap us up, I, I want to pray to that end and then we'll, we'll worship. But um, I want to give us a minute just for you in your own heart to respond um, to what God might be stirring in you. Let's just do that together. Would you just begin to talk to the Lord yourself about, yeah, what, what struck a chord with you this morning? What's he stirring? And then I'll pray. Jesus, we we love you this morning. We love you this morning because you've loved us first. And the the way that you've loved us has been so so good. The way that you you love us is is, is beyond uh, what we could hope or or ask for. It's it's beyond what I'll speak for. It's beyond what I deserve. But yet, the, the way that you love is just so rich, it's so full so gracious it's so kind so gentle and yet so direct and firm at times Jesus I thank you for your love at work in us individually as your kids and us as a church thank you for the way that your love is saving us 
Thank you for the way that it's, it's restoring and repairing things within us. Thank you for the, the hope that we have because of, of how you love us. A hope that is undergirded by the promise of, of you, Father, Son, Spirit, and your faithfulness. Jesus, it's easy for me to get excited and kind of hoot and holler up here a little bit today about this, but the actual process of walking and living it out, it's hard. <laughs> and so Lord, we, we come to you today acknowledging our need for your Spirit. Acknowledging our need for you, the, the God of hope, to fill us by your Spirit and lead us in joy and in peace so that we can abound in, in hope. We, we all need hope. To be, to be human, God, is to suffer. And Jesus, you know that. Thank you for coming and walking among us, for taking upon yourself the, the suffering, the brokenness of, of humanity. And in the midst of that, and in doing so, holding out for us hope, hope of new life, hope of new beginnings, hope of change, hope of transformation, hope of, of wholeness and restoration. Yeah, Jesus, would you help us just to surrender the things we need to, to the reality and truth of your, your love and your hope? Would you give us the courage that we need, the faith we need to walk out the things that you're calling us to out of your love and out of your hope? Would you heal and restore, reconcile things that are busted and broken by your love and by your hope? And Lord, this morning too, as we come to this table as an act of worship, as an act of surrender, as an act of our longing, as an act of an expression of our, our hope, Jesus, would you, would you remind us of, of, of the truth? Remind us of your faithfulness through, through this table. That as we take this bread, it is a representation and a reminder to us of your body that was broken for us. And as we take the juice, that, that it is a reminder and the embodiment for us of your blood which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we take it, physically consume it and into our, our bodies. Jesus, in the same way, somehow miraculously and would you fill us with your hope? With the eating of the cracker, the drinking of the cup, would it, would it be the, the ingesting, the taking in of, of hope and of love in, in, in a new way, in a, in a real way today? That you, the God of hope, would fill us in the process of believing with your joy, with your peace, so that we would abound in hope and be able to share that with others. God, we, we love you today. Thank you for your love for us.